Hi, this is Brian Billick, and I'm glad to be joined by my partner, Dennis Green, for the final Coaches Show podcast of the season. Here we go. Cook hits a high spiral. Field by Ginn at the 18. Clock begins. Three seconds left. Two. Ginn to the 40. Time has expired. Ginn is tackled. And the haze in the barn. The Baltimore Ravens are Super Bowl champions. Woo! Let's bust out the crab cakes. Let's feast. Well, Danny, I think the game turned out to be the game that we all thought we would get. A seven-point or less titanic battle in the Super Bowl 47, although it certainly didn't start out that way. No, it didn't. And, I, you know, I think that a lot of people picked the 49ers. I was one of them. So I was really surprised when the 49ers started somewhat slow, made some mistakes early, uncharacteristic, uh, uncharacteristic mistakes. And uh, the Ravens, uh, I thought, started real fast and played extremely well, extremely confident. Yeah, it was a little surprising. I, too, although I picked the Ravens, only for the reason that I wanted to be able to fly home today and not (laughs) not get me out of the airport. But I, too, think the 49ers are a better team. I had said all week long that um, I thought, even though the Niners were a better team and would probably win seven out of ten games, that you only play it once. And I was a little surprised how sketchy they started. I think they were a little tight. I mean, to start the game, you and I have been down this a million times, Danny, but to start the game with a play that you've probably practiced for two solid weeks, you spent two or three days leading up to the fact that this is our opening play, and then to miss a line and have a penalty on the very first play, I think is very indicative of just how tight the 49ers were. Yeah, because that's the formation that you run the very first day of training camp. You you know, you got a slot and receiver to the wide side, and you, you both are in twins out there, and now you can't cover the tight end up because he's part of this pass pattern. You know, and I think part of it, what it came down to, is that the 49ers had started slow before, and were very confident, I think, before that they could make that comeback run, and they did the exact same thing yesterday. They started somewhat slow uh maybe because you know they're still running two versions of offense you know, i mean they're running the pistol and they're running the regular and many times when do you use which one and and how effectively are you going to use it yeah and, and was uh, uh the example also of the fact of the 49ers had them off the field uh after putting them on a short field because of uh, of the penalty to back them up and then they punted it the niners started uh, basically at midfield, were off the field uh, basically on a third nine and then got another opportunity because of a penalty that now gave them the opportunity to uh, uh, take a shot to the end zone and, uh, and get that first touchdown. So, but, but we have to give them credit. They were able to kind of regroup a little bit, all but after uh, a disastrous first half. And certainly, as you said, you've got to give – Baltimore credit. They they came out aggressive. Uh, they mixed in the run and the pass. They didn't feel like they had to run the ball to get started. If Joe Flacco needed to get them started, that's exactly what he did. And their ability to come out, play loose, I think you saw it in the coaches. John Harbaugh, very focused, very relaxed. Jim Harbaugh, now that's his style. I don't want to say that they were tight and nervous and, and choking a little bit because Jim Harbaugh is so animated on the sideline anyway but I think the team played like that just a little bit. Yeah, you know, one thing I like, Baltimore was throwing a lot on first down initially, and that, that was good because they don't have to have 15, 20 yards. They just wanted something, and, and I think that was a difference. I think that probably is a little bit different 
for San Francisco because if they do have a weakness, this team, it is a secondary. It's not the front four defensively, which is outstanding. It's not the linebacking, which is the best four in football. It is the secondary. And, and so I think that by throwing on first down, they were able to get some success, meaning Baltimore. And I think that also kind of got them rolling a little bit. Yeah, and then all you have to do is look at the, the sequence of touchdowns, the 13-yarder to Anquan Bolden down the middle of the field that we've seen time and time and time again. You kind of half know that's exactly where they're going. Then Pitta, Dennis Pitta on a small touchdown, uh, finding a little quick out route, great throw by, by um, Joe Flacco. And then the odd 56-yarder, you know, how many times do we say, Denny, uh, you got to back up. Yeah. And it was a simple quarters coverage, quarter, quarter, halves where the safety got pulled up on the slot receiver, even though he was covered, and the outside corner was waiting some, for some help on uh, Jacoby Jones and didn't get it, and Jones made a great great play getting back up and getting into the score. Yeah, but I think yeah, that was a great play by, by Jacoby Jones, but the corner was playing too tight. He was guessing, expecting him to go across. It was this little slight wiggle inside down the field, and the coverage was not even close. So I think that, again, showed that 49ers – that cornerback weakness uh, made a big difference for them and it enabled Joe Flacco to continue his run through. I mean, to go and to play in, in five playoff games and throw no interceptions, um, that's very good. I mean, that that's outstanding. And then, of course, they have three touchdown passes in the Super Bowl is what earned him the MVP, which Jacoby Jones could have easily gotten it because he did they have 290 yards of total offensive yard, total yards, and that's a lot of yards. But Joe clearly uh, played well, was very cool, very smooth, very confident, and uh, played uh, good well when they needed it, very well when they needed it. Yeah, when you think about the mistakes made by the 49ers early, whether it's the offsides that we talked about that gave the 49ers another third down chance on a third and four to convert the touchdown to Anquan Bolden, uh, whether you're talking about the fumble, uh, the fumble uh, by James, obviously, that puts them on a short field, uh, to then come out and start the third quarter and giving up the 108-yard kickoff return, it doesn't take much to see just any one of those plays uh, that you don't give it up by the 49ers in what was ultimately a very tight win, uh, what was ultimately, um, you know, any one of those plays you can see, hey, maybe the 49ers come away with the win. Akers kickoff to start the second half. Fielded by Jacoby Jones, eight yards deep, brings it out of the end zone. Left hash mark 10, 15, 20, sheds a tackle, 30. Jacoby Jones midfield, he might, 30, he could, 20, no flag, he will go all the way Jacoby Jones 108 yards the kickoff return is what drives you nuts I mean you know the one of the 49er players had a tackle on the 18 yard line that's where the tackle should have been made you're on the outside you get your head across you don't slow down you accelerate he slowed down and then didn't try to get his head across on the tackle. So he did everything about – he was not blocked. He did about everything as about unfundamentally sound as you possibly could and allowed them to uh, – Jacoby came flying through there. I mean, you know, as he said, 108 yards in 11 seconds. I mean, that's flying. And there's only one way you've got to break, be able to make that guy break stride and cut him off. And there was a chance to do that, but uh, it wasn't there. And, and I think that made a difference. So really the 49ers could have been done right there because they had done so many things wrong but they did come back and play well like they have in the past they played with confidence and Kaepernick made some incredible throws very fast lightning quick 
laser-type throws that were very accurate, and they start making plays. And then what happened, Baltimore, of course, because they're not a super team, they look like a team that could lose, you know, six, seven games during the regular season. They start showing up a little bit and start showing some of those plays that they give up a little bit, uh, inability uh, to make a lot of big plays, lost, you know, defensive linemen. So a lot of things start going poorly for them, but they hung in there and made some plays at the very end. You know, you talk about the missed tackle on the kickoff. I thought on the whole, particularly in the first half, if there was anything that distinguished the two halves defensively for the 49ers. I thought they was very sloppy open field tackling on the part of the 49ers in the first half that seemed to shore up in the second half. Yeah, they did. And, you know, with a couple exceptions, particularly I think in the third and fourth quarter, they, they did a good job of – and I think emphasizing, hey, this is what's killing them. I mean, the 49ers were able to say this is why we are down. This is what we did wrong. It was pretty clear cut to them. And I think if we improve on that, we can get right back in this ballgame. Ball will go down, held by the – oh, it's a fake. And it's a direct snap going to Tucker for the 20. Far side gets a block at the 15. Runs to the sideline, the 10. He gets as far as the 6. And he is shy of a first down, I think, by a yard. He picks up eight. It was fourth and nine. San Francisco will take over at their six-yard line. Let's talk about the decision of John Harbaugh on a fourth and nine uh, on the 49ers 14. They're up 14 to three. And his use of the fake field goal. Uh, you'll, people remember about midseason when they played the uh, – Oakland Raiders, we talked about a very similar fake field goal that actually ended up scoring. Now, it was on a one-sided affair, and people were kind of critical of John Harbaugh for actually even running it in that situation. Uh, but obviously, John Harbaugh, former special teams coach, um, I, I have no problem with the decision itself because even though you're up 14-3, the idea being that if we don't get it, we're going to have them pinned down on the way the 49ers were kind of stumbling around. It was probably a decent risk. I know you question doing it with that yardage. Yeah, I think, you know, fourth and nine. I mean, you normally in that four to six, seven, I mean, you know you're not going to do it at fourth and one and two because it's too close. People will anticipate a little bit. But I, I think that you can have a lot of things go right in your alignment. You can have a lot of things go right as far as how the defense is going to play it, and it just be too much yardage to make that, that, that play, and that's what happened. The, the Ravens were outflanked. They were out of position, but it was so much shortage took so long for Tucker to get there that they were able to get out there and, and make it come up one yard short. And, of course, the, the rolling of the dice worked in their favor because it was a three and out by San Francisco. They started the drive on the six. They were three and out, had to punt. The 49ers got the ball inside the 50 or on their own, just on the, uh, their side of the 50, and that's when the Jacoby Jones came up with that 56-yard touchdown that we talked about. Um, well, let's now let's switch gears. Obviously, the, the, the punt return, or I should say the kickoff return, for 108 yards. Now, all of a sudden, you're coming out of the locker room. You're going to regroup. You got your plan, and now you're down 28-6 to six after the, the kickoff return for the touchdown. Both the teams kind of fumble around a little bit, and then all of a sudden, the lights go out. Welcome back to the Superdome in New Orleans. We have had a power outage. Uh, half the lights in the building are on. Half the lights are off. We have lost our complete electrical supply. The players are milling around the field. The field is shrouded, not in complete darkness, but it is significantly 
less light, certainly, here in the Superdome. And now the players are walking to the respective sidelines. And the scoreboards are out. The clock obviously is out. You know what? And that's something that you never think is going to happen, any kind of delay. I mean, we know, unfortunately, sometimes an injury will cause a delay, and you try to have your player stay in the game. And, and we all worry about injuries on a particular player if he gets knocked out or something along those lines. And when he gets better, we all feel better, and he gives us a thumb up, and it's it, we're off and running. But in this case, you know, now you're talking about, hey, you know, for the 49ers, it's is, look, we have a chance to get back in this now. We just gave this return up. Uh, we may, that was a big mistake, but it's it's we can handle it. And later on on the return, they did handle it. Pretty next two returns, in fact, they handled it pretty well. But I I think what it comes down to now is your players have to mentally stay ready, mentally stay focused. No one knows when the lights are going to come back on. No one knows the effect it's going to have. But I think the big thing the Forty ers did was try to try to say, hey, this gives us a chance. In other words, they talked momentum stopper, whether or not it was or not. They said it would be a momentum stopper. They said that this would give us a chance to regroup. Those are the things that they were able to say. For Baltimore, they have to try to do the opposite. They have to say, okay, now look, we're hot, but we got to stay hot. Well, it's, you know, it's hard to, to stay hot. We're, we're really rolling, guys. Don't let it stop us here. Now we're up. We have the lead. We have to put the finishing touches on. And in a lot of ways, I don't know who can say what the difference was. Momentum, the second half belonged to the 49ers after the first half had belonged to Baltimore, except for that last series. Well, in the second half, it looked like what you and I had talked about, that clearly San Francisco now was playing like the team that is a better team. There's no question about it. But we all grew up in coaching knowing the old adage that the team, it's not the best team that wins, it's the team that plays best. And certainly uh, the, the Ravens did that over the course of the game. But you have, to, you have to be impressed with the way the 49ers now fought back. I mean, once the kickoff return uh, put them down 28-6, to 6, you had to think, boy, this thing is totally out of control. Uh, and then Baltimore comes out and stumbles around a little bit. And then San Francisco goes on a couple drives in a short period of time, and not the least of which Colin Kaepernick made some throws in that second half that just absolutely eye-popping in terms of his accuracy. Normally a strong-armed quarterback will force balls in, and, and a lot will be errant. But, boy, this guy's accuracy is just yeah, it really is, and I think that. And what surprisingly, for a ball that that is has that kind of laser speed, it is not a heavy ball. I mean, you know, there are some guys that really throw hard. You know, as we know, Randall Cunningham threw the ball hard. It was a heavy ball. And I'm not saying you couldn't catch that heavy ball because the guys caught plenty of them, but it was a heavy ball. Uh, John Elway throws hard, a somewhat heavy ball. This this guy's ball is a light ball. It's kind of surprising to see that rotation, the way it spins. He throws the ball like it, like a lot of the touch passers, except it has quite a bit of velocity on it. Now, as we know, though, Baltimore contributed to this by, you know, Ray Rice had a fumble. Uh, they had a rough in the kicker, which really I didn't think was a rough in the kicker. So they made some penalties that kept those drives alive. They made some penalties that gave the ball back to San Francisco, and they made some penalties that kept, you know, Joe Flacco and, you know, their offense from having a chance to be productive. Yeah, and, and the sequence obviously down 28-6, to six, and, and then you turn around and you see San Francisco goes on a seven-play, 80-yard drive. They then get uh, due to the uh, to the fumble 
by Ray Rice, the un- or I should say the punt return by Ted Ginn. Now all of a sudden they're able to drive and, and uh, drive it into the end zone. Then Baltimore again stumbles around. Uh, and then San Francisco comes right back, goes four plays uh, with the, uh, the eight yards that uh, just all of a sudden set up. Now all of a sudden we're looking at 28-23. But at that point then you now have to be impressed with the way Baltimore was able to regroup. Up 28-23, but the momentum clearly going the entire way of the San Francisco 49ers. And they put together a 12-play, 42-yard drive that uh, it only yields a field goal. But still, all of a sudden, now you've got that scoring differential. Right, and you and you were able to stop it. I mean, you put that, and that was a big difference because it was putting the pressure on the 49ers and how they had to score and the chances that they had to take because they did lose that when, when they got that three points, and they got another three points. So I think that Baltimore did a great job of fighting back, um, you know, and, and made some tremendous plays to get that game and, and to take the momentum back. It's very hard to stop a team who has momentum, but Baltimore was able to do that. And then San Francisco, to their credit, again, now you, you fought your way back. You think you're right there with it. Uh, and then you let San Francisco, or excuse me, Baltimore, go the length of the field, but then San Francisco turns right around, and they go five plays, 76 yards. They do try a two-point conversion, and I thought that one was, I think they had the right call on. They had Randy Moss on a slant. They're obviously figuring that they were going to overplay the fade throw to Randy Moss. Ed Reed came off the edge. I thought that was maybe the one throw that Kaepernick maybe panicked a little bit and threw it out a little early and a little flat. Yeah, you know what? And and I think the whole team that they did not seem that they understood the importance that we can actually tie this ball game right here. I mean, it did, it just it just was not one of their better plays and put them now in that point where now you're you're down by two, a field goal means we're down by five, you know what I mean? Another field goal means we're down by eight. Uh, we kick a field goal, we're down by three. And that was the difference then at the end of the game. They were down by five. Uh, Baltimore was able to take the safety uh, to mean that, okay, the clock was clearly, the clear was the clock was in Baltimore's favor, so they were able to use it, run it down, and then decide to take the safety, which took the lead from five down to three, but only enough time to return a kickoff after the safety and give the game to Baltimore. Yeah, and that's where, again, uh, I was so impressed with, with once Baltimore had responded, then San Francisco responded, then Baltimore turned around and responded on their own with a 10-play, 60-yard drive that ended up with a field goal that, again, created that differential, that 34-29 differential that, that put that at the five points. Well, let's, let's – and, again, then, then San Francisco, beautiful drive down the field. Ray Lewis stares across the line at Colin Kaepernick. He's in the pistol. Frank Gore behind him. Lewis comes on a blitz. Kaepernick lob to the end zone. Incomplete. No flags on the play. Incomplete. Ray Lewis and the defense deliver and stop the 49ers at the five. Let's talk about the last plays, the last four plays. Here, uh, San, Francisco, San Francisco gets down their first and seven on the seven-yard line. They get four shots to the end zone and can't get in. Let's talk a little bit about those plays, beginning with the final one 
Um, do you think it was pass interference on the last play? Yeah, it was. It was definitely pass interference. And I, I think, it, you know, it starts with this idea on, you know, once you get that first and seven, boy, you you wish it was first and three, maybe, you know, first and 14 or something, get, let you get further down. Seven yards, you're stuck right, right in the middle. And all three of the plays, you know, kind of weren't there. Both two of them were rollouts on second and third down that did not come up with any. And then the fourth down, the, you know, this is it. This is for all the marbles. Uh, there was gra- – I like to call it grabbing. I fought with the league for years and saying holding isn't descriptive enough. I think we all know holding. You hold hands with your girlfriend or your wife or something. But when you grab somebody, then that is an act that, that you're trying to get away and they're trying to grab you. And I think that's what they should have called. That was grabbing. It should have been called – you know what? I think people say a no call. A no call is is, is something that accidentally happens uh, when you actually grab a guy. It was very poorly played by the Baltimore quarterback. Uh, he should have never tried to play the la- what could look like the last play of the game that way. He should have known it was going to be called when he started grabbing. It's one thing to interfere, but it's another thing to actually grab a guy, hold on to a guy, try to prevent a guy from running. You know, and of course the ball went out of bounds, so it was not a catchable ball, but it should have been a, you know, half the distance five yard penalty. Well, and, and I'll, I'll question two things. First, I, I agree. I think it was. I think if that, if that happens during the regular season, if that happens earlier in the game, I think you get a call. But I think the officials rightly or wrongly said, we're not going to finish this game. We're not going to, not that, you know, Baltimore couldn't have stopped them, but we're not going to give San Francisco basically the game by giving them a new set of downs on the goal line with that kind of call. And, and that's where the discrepancy comes for me in that, no, I don't want the game to end that way. I don't want it to be in the officials' hands. But at the end of the day, if he held, or as you say, grabbed, then he grabbed. I guess the other part for me is, and I love Michael Crabtree and the set, the skill set he brings, but I don't know. If I'm going to throw a fade route, I got Randy Moss on my team, the greatest leaper in the history of this game. Don't you Don't you kind of give Randy Moss a chance to make that play? Well, Randy was to the short side of the field. He threw it to the wide side of the field. You know, there, there's no doubt about that. Uh, Kaepernick has – I don't know if he completed any touchdown fades all year. I think the question is maybe one from the four or five-year line, but I don't think any any touchdown fades. And so I don't think it's something that he's that accustomed to doing. Uh, you know, the ball was too far overthrown. It was the wide side of the field. But I, I, I still don't say that you can't reward a cornerback for uh, illegal play, meaning grabbing a guy in a desperate act because you only grab a guy when you're desperate, and then he got away with it. I think that's what's unfortunate. I mean, if he had played it better, but he couldn't have played that play any worse then he played it then with the technique and the, uh, that he used and trying to prevent Crabtree from making that catch. Sam Cook standing in the end zone, and that's exactly what he's going to do. He trots in the back of the end zone. Clock is at seven. Cook running around, still on his feet, and finally chased out of bounds with four seconds left on the clock. Hugh called it. Sam Cook alertly burning eight seconds off the clock, and now the Ravens will have a free kick. Well, let's, let's talk about the use of taking the deliberate two-point um, safety uh, and the thought process you go through as coaches. You know, it's, it's uh, to me, obviously, and it works, so we go by our coaches' uh, 
show motto that if it worked, you're a genius, and if it didn't, <laughs> you're an idiot. Uh, but let's let's obviously talk it through with a five point differential. What you're thinking of as a coach is, look, if I give up, if I if I punt it from here, now that means they're likely going to get the ball uh, uh, inside the 50 yard line, and at this point, there's uh, about a minute, minute and a half left. That's a pretty decent chance for a team that literally has just marched it right down the field um, and and just moved it down into scoring position on us. Uh, instead, I'm going to take the safety. Yes, that makes it a three-point differential. And now, all of a sudden, I've left myself vulnerable to a field goal that can tie it, but at least I get to punt from the 20, and with very little time left, sure. I'm, I'm counting on a Hail Mary to beat us. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, the, the way they counted it down, they did a great job. They were able to count it down and then get it to inside a play, and that play would be the punt itself. So that's really what helped. And the, the fourth down play was with 11 seconds, I think, or maybe it was 14 seconds, or the third, the fourth down play, I think 13 seconds maybe or something. He was able to take the snap, run around down there. Now what, what uh, 49ers didn't do in that situation is supposed to have guys up the field to keep the kicker punter contained, make him go out of the back of the end zone, and that would have given them – <clears throat> some more time by allowing him to run outside that used up the clock. So that took it down to really only four seconds. And that meant that that was the last play was going to be the punt. The guy runs it back for a touchdown on a, on a punt return or the, or the game is going to be over. So they did a great job, but boy, risky because what you're never supposed to do is give the opponent enough points to tie your game. And so by, by taking the safety, you're giving them two points. Now, if they had time for a field goal, which they didn't, they could have kicked a field goal and tied the game. But they had time on their side, and so Baltimore made a great, great uh, deal. And that's also that time Time is everything at the end of the game like that. Yeah, and I thought it was very telling, going back to the no call of the grabbing or the holding defensively on that play, as we all teach it, you teach your punting team to hold because right. no team is going, yeah, you get the flag, but no one's going to accept the penalty because too much time's gone off and you've got to accept the ball where you got it. You're not going to give them a chance now to go ahead and punt it after already having run off a number of uh, seconds off the clock. But the fact that there were, and it was, there were two or three just flat out tackled. That was tackled there. That was what you call offensive tackling, which is illegal. Yeah, and the fact that those weren't called I think re-verifies what we're talking about, that the officials weren't going to be, they just decided they weren't going to be a factor late in the game, uh, even though that clearly was the circumstance where both teams understood they were doing. They should have at the very least thrown the flag knowing that the Baltimore Ravens were going to deny the penalty or decline the penalty anyway. So I, th- I thought that was very telling. We went through injury. We went through deaths. We've been, we've been through it all. And now we find ourselves with an opportunity to feel that confetti drop. And my job as a leader was to do something for my team, was to position my team to one day feel what I felt 12 and 13 years ago, and that was that confetti come out of the sky. So, man, if I, I, I tell you, when I end my journey, if I was to end it, I always tell people, when God is for you, who can be against you? Because if you believe in what you believe in, hold on to that faith and just spread it, spread it throughout your team. And I did that, man, and that's why I just take my hat off to my team. Awesome. Let's talk about um, 
the legacy of Ray Lewis. Obviously, gosh, you can't script it any better for Ray Lewis, a uh, slam dunk Hall of Famer, to finish his last game in that fashion with now a second Super Bowl. I mean, does this this allows now Ray to have the credentials to to definitely be a top of the discussion at least that he may be the greatest defensive player of all time? Yeah, I think he he's able to go into that in that discussion because, you know, the, the games, the kind of years he's had, how he played coming back from an injury that they said he would not come back from, how many tackles he had during this playoff run where a team goes in as a wild card, has to play all the games on the road, and then also winds up winning the Super Bowl. And then I think just the, the – the fantastic leadership that all the players give him the credit for uh, in providing when he was not even playing the leadership that he provided in the way he helped motivate them. So he goes down as one of those players. Yeah. And let's remember, as we've talked about, this is a team that, that lost four of its last five games and all, but for that fourth and 29 against San Diego was a team that would have limped into the playoffs, losing its last five games. Uh, and then Ray makes the announcement, announcement that he's done. And they did get healthier. Haloti Nadi got healthier. Terrell Suggs got healthier during the course of the playoffs. Uh, they got some DBs back. But still, that was an impressive run after limping into the playoffs, losing four of the last five. Yeah, it was. And I, I think that, uh, you know, he's a guy that he, he came. What was the difference? He was back. That made a difference. Obviously, they switched offensive coordinators. That made a difference. But right now, we're talking about Ray Lewis and the impact he had on this team that was Super Bowl champions, and the impact is immeasurable. Well, let's finish off with uh, these two Super Bowl participants. Let's see where they go from here. For San Francisco, this is uh, this is a darn good football team. It's going to be good for a while, it looks like. I guess as you look at their offseason, of course, they got to decide what to do with Alex Smith, given the payday. It's unlikely that he's going to be back. I uh, don't know if Randy Moss wants to continue to play, but I would think that they getting another big play receiver opposite of Michael Crabtree would be a priority for them, but clearly the secondary, and it was exposed in the playoffs and certainly against the the Baltimore Ravens, the secondary has to be where the Niners put most of their attention. Yeah, especially for their style of play. For them to be able to use the linebackers the way they want to, uh, to supplement the front the way they want it to be, they have to be better at cornerback, plain and simple, because they have to be able to play a little bit more man coverage. They can't allow teams to really get to them by making them go into a two-deep zone by the way they spread them out and then, uh, and then attack them you know, underneath. So that would be the one weakness that they have. But, I mean, this is Jim Harbaugh coaching a team that was 13-3 and the regular season, you know, in 2011 and 13-3 and this year, 14-2, and whatever it was. I mean, that's two years in a row, uh, one year uh, NFC Championship game, the next year in the Super Bowl. What happens next year? Heck, next year, I guess they win the Super Bowl. So he's really done a phenomenal job. Yeah, for the Baltimore Ravens, of course, uh, you're seeing Ray Lewis transition out. Now, Ed Reed says he is not retiring, but he is an unrestricted free agent. There's talk of him going elsewhere, uh, and that's going to be a big, big decision for the Baltimore Ravens. They're going to have to continue, and they're not as old a team as people portray them to be. Obviously, when you got a Ray Lewis and an Ed Reed and a Terrell Suggs, but they've done a good job bringing some good young talent in, but they need to restock that a little bit. Uh, and, and obviously getting Ed Reed back would be a big part of that. Offensively, I thought they did a great job reshuffling that offensive line, moving Bryant McKinney to uh, left tackle, uh, Calicio Semele at left guard, setting Michael Orr up at right tackle. So with Orr, Yonda, uh, Semele at guard, they're going to probably do something at tackle. Bryant McKinney is likely to be done. 
I think he kind of has, has used up his uh, his playing career and a brilliant career it was. And Matt Burke, I'd be very surprised if Matt Burke comes back. He can now also retire. Of course, you're familiar with Matt Burke. You drafted him in Minnesota, and he's finishing a phenomenal career uh, coming back back this year, 15 years in the league, and gets to retire as a Super Bowl winning center. And you know what? And probably. A Hall of Fame player. I, I think if, if there is a player who goes to Harvard and, and never played offensive center and then moves to center and does a great job and then winds up having some great years at Minnesota and decided then to leave and, and go to Baltimore and then had some great years at Baltimore. Two Super Bowl teams uh, or, or one Super Bowl uh, championship team, a whole lot of wins. I, you know, I think he's a modern-day Hall of Fame type player. Oh, and what a great story. You're exactly right. And I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, you know, Joe Flacco is due a payday, and it's going to be a big one. <laughs> it I is. I hear people say, uh, well, you know, he's not going to quite get uh, Drew Brees' money. Well, why not? How about that? <laughs> a Super Bowl, he's younger. He's yet to miss a single play in his five years in the NFL. Why wouldn't he get Drew Brees money? Yeah, and you know, and I think that's where people try to hold young guys down. There's no reason to hold him down. He's earned his spurs. I mean, he's uh, brought a team back. Uh, he's played, uh, you know, uh, on a system that has enabled him to have to really do some things. He survived uh, a change of an offensive coordinator, and and uh, and he's won a Super Bowl. So I, I think this is going to be a big pay. And they risked, uh, took the risk of not signing him last year. So he wanted to have a great year. They wanted to have a great year. They get someone to pay him for that great year. Well, now they're going to have to pay him for what's expected to be five or six great years. There was a great story in the Baltimore Sun about how over the summer when the Ravens were trying to get it done, and I think they put $16 million a year out there, forget whether it was a four- or five-year contract, and he turned that down, and he went and met with Ski Bashotti. And, of course, Ski Bashotti is going to support Ozzie Newsom and Pat Moriarty, their cap guy, uh, and basically told Joe, look, tell you what, Joe, you go out and have a heck of a year, you go win the Super Bowl, and then you can come back in here and pound to my desk for that payday. And Joe <laughs> laughingly said, well, I'll see you on Monday. I'm going to bring my sledgehammer in here because uh, I got a pretty good uh, pound. Uh, I'm just going to do what you told me. So, that is uh, right. I think he'll be pounding today. The parade, when's the parade? Tomorrow? The parade's tomorrow. He'll be pounding on the desk today. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Well, uh, finally, I want to uh, end up with the, just a list, I think, a great list of, of awards. MVP, Adrian Peterson, he and Peyton Manning, you can't go wrong. Coach of the Year, Bruce Arians. That, that was an incredible story. And, of course, Bruce now having the opportunity to be the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Rarely is an interim coach Coach of the Year. Normally, interim coach means you're taking over for a guy that didn't do well, and it doesn't go well at all. Bruce Arians was taking over for, for a coach who uh, had leukemia. He stepped in, did a great job, led the team to the playoffs. So I agree with that Coach of the Year. Defensive Player of the Year, J.J. Watt. You know, he's a guy that is almost reinventing how a guy can be a big guy but can also run, rush the passer, do the sacks, but also can defend against the run. Yeah, and RG3 was Offensive Rookie of the Year. Luke Keachley uh, was Defensive uh, Rookie of the Year. And Walter Payton, Man of the Year, Jason Witten, a great award. I love seeing that award because it just underlines how much these players do uh, on their own. We keep hearing about the knuckleheads all the time. It's great to hear about players like Jason Witten. Uh, that that uh, does so much for the right. community. And the comeback player of the year, you know, you knew if Adrian Peterson was going to get the MVP, then Peyton Manning was going to get comeback of the year and vice versa. Absolutely. 
And yeah, I think that's the right way, too. I think Adrian, with the way he played, is the MVP. And I think then that means Peyton would have to be the comeback player there. So I think they got it right. Well, that's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will see you next season here on the Coach's Show podcast.